first through sixth grade. Y'all can join uh, Miss Susan over there, and y'all are dismissed. Um, so my pant leg is wet. I was up in the uh, doing the baptism, and uh, somehow through the waiters, it, it just it got me. It didn't get this leg, but it got this leg. And I'm only up here for 30 minutes, so this is going to stick with us for the whole uh, service. So as I call attention to it, don't look at it. Uh, but, man, my foot's a little wet too, but that's okay. We're here this morning, and I don't have an application for this. It's just the reality is we got to go through it and, and deal with it, and stuff like this happens. It just does. Uh, but isn't that the truth? We, we sang Waymaker in the last song, and um, he is the Waymaker. He is who we live by, and he makes everything possible for his name. Um, and what's fitting is, you know, we've been in this season of the Olympics, and I'm sure that a lot of y'all have gotten to watch all the different sports. There's so many to keep up with. I have YouTube TV, and when I get on there, it's just like, oh, there's tennis, and there's basketball, and there's this, and I, I don't know what to pick. Uh, but this past Monday, a guy by the name of Karsten Warholm from Norway not only broke his own record, but he broke his own world record, place, making a new world record for the 400-meter hurdles in 45.94 seconds. And that's him right there. He has his his uh, flag wrapped around him. He's super pumped. I think he even like kind of ripped open his, <laughs> his uniform because of how excited he was. Um, and I, I just, I can't imagine for one how much discipline it takes to get to that point, to not only compete in the Olympics, but to get gold and to break a world record. Oh, and not just once, but go ahead and beat your own world record again. Um, I can't imagine how much practice that takes. And to think that I could probably barely get over the first hurdle without hurting myself. And um, the other thing is, is that he has his, his Norway flag wrapped around him. There's a sense of pride for his country. He's here representing, making it clear, I am here um, through Norway, and I'm here to compete and make my, my country proud. So there's this pride involved. He's proud. He is so disciplined to get the job done. And here in Titus, we just went over chapter one, and we saw Paul give a very bold and blunt um, message to the church, addressing false teachers and letting them know that those things need to be addressed and brought up and called to attention. And here in chapter two, he's calling the church to a similar attitude as the guy that we just saw uh, on the screen, and a similar attitude to a lot of these Olympians that are so ready um, and so self-disciplined to get the job done. No matter what it takes, the blood, sweat, and tears, they're there for it. And, and there's this pride in, of representing who they stand for. And here in chapter two, he's He's calling the church to take on specific uh, instructions. He, he lays it out for Titus, who's leading the church, and makes it very clear, um, kind of give this, gives this really nice outline of what he expects from different groups within the church. So starting with verse one, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. 
Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive." And what's really cool about this first part of the passage is that if you're looking to take notes, you have them right there. He's super clear in what he expects from each and every one of these groups. And the overall message that he's sending to them here is live by gospel-centered godliness. And he addresses six different groups. The first one that he hits is godliness for older men. He says, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Now, the one that stood out to me here is worthy of respect. We may know what temperate is, but being worthy of respect, it seems simple, but as we grow in age, I think there's this automatic expectation that as an older person or someone who has tenure in the church or in wherever they reside, they're worthy of that respect automatically. But Paul is calling for something different. And yes, as young people, we are called to honor our elders. But there's something bigger than that. He's calling the older men to be worthy of respect by living in a godly way. He also touches on self-control and being sound in faith. Be firm in what you believe in and make it clear who you stand by. In love, in all those things, remember that it stands on God's love and the overflow of that love in your life and in endurance. Now, endurance, I think this one may be a little tougher for older men just because, you know, you get older and that endurance just kind of dissipates. And I think that's why that sometimes we end up uh, reverting to sports like golf, you know, just because it's... (laughs) I had to take that hit. It's And really, it's not that... The, the fact is I, I'm terrible at golf and I can't swing a club and I had to find something to, to poke fun at because it's my last time up here and I thought even if it completely flops, it doesn't matter because I'm out of here, right? <laughs> uh, but seriously, endurance is so important because you, the older men can look to do all these things. Any of us can look to execute these things and fail because we simply burn out, Next, godliness for the older woman. Likewise, teach the older woman to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Now, when he says slanderers, what he may be referring to here is is, uh, someone who likes to gossip 
and get into their circles. Maybe if you're in the church circle, you know, you gather together and you say, hey, can you just please pray for this person? They got this and this and this and this going on. And maybe they permitted you to share those things, but a lot of times we coat that gossip with, well, just pray for them. Make sure to pray for them. I'm worried about them. And you may have good intentions there, but what Paul is calling for here is to be careful with your mouth and not to bring other people down by the way we speak of them. In Proverbs 17, verses 27 to 28, he says, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint and whoever has understanding is even tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. A simple encouragement and call to be careful with your tongue and how you address people and talk about them when they're not around. He also talks about not being addicted to much wine. It seems like in this church at the time, there was an issue amongst the older women of abusing uh, alcohol and overusing it. Now, I think this is a simple thing that we can stand by today as well. Be sober-minded and teach what is good. He addressed the older men in saying, be sound in faith and hear again to the older woman. He says, teach what is good. And what is good is God's name and the gospel. Godliness for younger women. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one malign the word of God. First, there's this reminder to love your family. Now, there's this natural thing that comes along with blood-related people and the person that you're married to, but, but what he's calling for here is this daily action of loving your husband, of loving your children. It's not a passive thing. It's very much active in how we love others. And uh, he also calls to be busy at home. Now, this can be spun in many different ways, and we have to look at the context here and understand that there are many other verses um, and passages in the Bible that clarify that this isn't just simply a call for, young, for a young woman to stay at home and do nothing else. Um, Proverbs 31 speaks of a godly businesswoman and a, and a caretaker of the home. But what Paul may be referring to here is being a busybody and a busybody is going to run around doing everything else but prioritizing their home and probably going and being slanderers, gossipers, and, and just getting caught up in the drama of things and not prioritizing what they have at home. And it's a simple call to place your husband first, your wife first, and your kids first, the family that you have. Prioritize them instead of being that busybody. He calls for submission to husbands, like in Ephesians 5, where wives are called to submit to their husbands like they do the Lord. Now, but we understand and we've talked about this, this is a mutual thing. It is sacrificial on both ends. In Ephesians 5, later, very much, uh, right after, it talks about wives submitting. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And Christ died for the church so that's some sacrificial love. So there needs to be this understanding that as he calls the husbands and wives to these specific roles and submitting to one another, 
Uh, it's a sacrificial thing and it's a mutual thing to point towards God. Godliness for younger men, self, self-control. That's it. That's all he says. Self-control. And if that ain't true, that is true today. Younger men, if you don't have self-control, then there's nothing else that we need to talk about here. The first thing that he wants to address and prioritize is have self-control and your passions and your desires and what you want to do in life. But he's addressing this as we go. He said it to the older men, the older woman, the young woman, and now the young men. But the young men, all they needed was self-control. Godliness for leaders. Here he addresses Titus. Paul calls Titus to be sound in speech and have integrity as a leader. Simply leaders in the church are called to speak truth and live out truth as an example to those in the church. Godliness for workers. Paul also addresses the slaves at the time. It says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Paul even states that slaves should remain obedient and loyal to those they serve. Now, this isn't an endorsement for slavery, and we must understand that in this context, slaves looked very different from what we know as American slavery. They were oftentimes servants and members of the household. And that's not to say that there weren't masters abusing that authority and taking advantage of their servants. But that's not what Paul is addressing here. He's saying no matter what status you have, no matter what position you hold, whatever you're doing, he calls every single person to live a life of godliness so that God's name can be elevated and glorified and that the gospel, as it says here, can be made attractive to those around us. And when we live a life of godliness, it naturally leads to living as a witness for Christ. Live as a gospel-centered witness. Leading a godly life in order to please and glorify God leading a godly life in order to lead others to the gospel. Now, when I think of a witness, I think of someone who is very clear in who they stand for. And I have several images up here to show y'all. And I I think of sports fans. They're, they're, They're very bold in who they represent. You got Team USA here. They're, they got the face paint and the flag. Next, we got this guy from the Colts, the Indianapolis Colts. If you don't know the NFL, that's one of the teams. And he is decked out in all the stuff and all the colors and the hair and the face paint. And then we have one more. I had to throw this up because my Brazilian blood. And this is Brazil team, obviously. They're joined together in that flag. They got their heads sticking through it and they have face paint on and they're super outspoken in who they represent. It's made so clear. And this isn't a call for us to all get decked out in Jesus gear and hold a sign up that says I'm a Christian. That's not what this is, but it is a call to live a godly life so that there is no question who you stand for. That there's no question whose name you represent. 
It goes beyond salvation, right? It goes beyond just punching our ticket to heaven and saying we're a member of Calvary or a member of a church. There is a call to godly living and a call to be a witness. There's a call to be a witness at home. A biblical marriage is one that points to God, but also one where you see spouses who absolutely love each other in a sacrificial way. If you have spouses who are actively being unfaithful to each other, if you have a person who is actively being unfaithful to their loved ones and their family, they're not only dishonoring that person, but they're dragging Jesus's name through the mud. They're absolutely confusing the people looking in, trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian. And they say, but I'm doing that too. Or that's what I come from. How is this any different? See, we we have a, a clear call here to either honor his name and elevate the gospel or dishonor him and discredit what we stand for. Your marriage is a picture of the gospel. It's a public witness to the world. We can also look, like, look at in ministry, commend the gospel through faithful teaching. This is a call to all leaders, the pastors up here, the interns, even the congregants here who call themselves followers to live in such a way where you display through good works and good content the name of Jesus through your mouth and through your actions. Commend the gospel through your job as well. Paul even addressed the slaves. The slaves were not in a good place. I'm sure if you asked them, they would have not been very happy with their job status and the position that they held. But there's this call, no matter where you stand, no matter how good or bad your job is, no matter how much you dislike or like your boss and how terrible your coworkers are, there is a call to display Christ and to live in such a way where you are just ready to love on them and ready to be obedient to what you're called to do. And after all that instruction, Paul ends the, sec, the, the chapter in verses 11 through 15 by touching on God's grace. He brings it all back, back around and says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his, are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. It's a call to live through gospel-centered grace. In verse 11, he talks about the appearing of his grace. For the grace of God has appeared. Jesus personified, grace of God personified in Jesus. Grace has appeared visibly in Jesus. He came down as a person and sacrificed himself on the cross, paying the ultimate price so that we can step into that love, step into life. God rescued us by grace. And we have the offer of grace. It appeared to us, 
and it's been offered to all. Offer of redemption in Christ. It's undeserving. Grace is unmerited. It's undeserving love that's been offered to you. You can't gain it. You can't work for it. And you can't lose it. And so we have two options here. We can submit to Christ and walk into that salvation or try and work for it. And I guarantee you that you are going to fail every single time. What we're rescued from is that penalty of sin. There's no going back from that. But Christ gave himself for us. And he sanctified, we're sanctified by his grace. And all sanctification means is it's this process of being set apart from the world. And we've gone through this whole list of different disciplines and how you need to act a certain way and be godly. But if it doesn't hinge on God's grace, then it's completely worthless. And you're going to burn out if you try and go back home and do these things without understanding first that it's in his grace that we're sanctified. It's in his grace that we grow. We've been saved by him, but we also see the fruit of that. We continue to grow in his name as we're set apart from the world. And that's made apparent through our witness And we're sustained by his grace. Absolutely 100% sustained by him. We're saved by him. We're sanctified by him. And we're sustained by him. If we weren't, that talk about endurance wouldn't be possible. If we weren't, the talk about being pure and self-controlled wouldn't be obtainable one bit. Even in the Great Commission, when he tells and he commissions his disciples to go, And make disciples of all nations. At the beginning and the end of that passage, he makes it clear that he is always there. That he's the one that was at the beginning. And he promises them and says, behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. All throughout the Bible, we have this continuous call on our lives to pursue him. To live this godly life. But it's through his grace. It's not by works, and I know we've made that clear, but we need to understand that it is not about what you can do or what you can't do. You're unworthy either way. But in God, you're made worthy. In God, you're given that ability and that value to persevere. At the end of the passage, he even says, these then are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. And that's not because Titus has the authority on his own or because Paul gave it to him. It's because through God's grace, they've been given that. They've been given the power to lead in this way. You've been given that opportunity as well. Whether you're a pastor or not, whether you're an outspoken leader here on the stage, if you're a follower of Christ, You've been granted this ability to walk in his name and knowing that you have the assurance of salvation and knowing that you're growing in him daily and he's not going to leave you and knowing that you are sustained by him. My life was transformed by this kind of living. I came here to Calvary in seventh grade with this Cookie Monster shirt on. 
long hair. I'm back to the long hair now, but it was like a, more of like a Justin Bieber haircut before. And I, I didn't know what I was doing, but the people around me, a lot of them did. My youth pastor, Marcus, Pastor Julio, my friends around me who knew Christ, they're the ones that guided me to him. And it, it was through godly living. A lot of times I feel the need to fluff up my testimony because it's not exciting. I grew up in the church. I didn't do a bunch of crazy stuff. I didn't have this 180 flip. And I thought, man, I feel like I got to make my testimony exciting every time I talk about it. But the truth is, my testimony is in the Bible. And I think that's true for many of us here, all of us. I just went over Acts 2 not too long ago, and it, it talks about the early church, and they give this amazing example of how to live. They're in daily prayer, daily word, daily fellowship, and there's this pursuit after the Lord. And I realize that that's my testimony. Because of the faithfulness of the people around me, I came to know who Christ was. My life was changed, it was transformed. I was brought from death to life. Living in a godly manner has eternal impact. It's not just about being a better Christian or being a good member here at Calvary. It has eternal impact. Yes, it's for the benefit of you, for you, through how you live a prosperous life, but it tremendously impacts the people around you. So when you profess your faith, in Christ and you make it known that I'm a Christian, where's your witness? How are you living? And are you resting in his grace? Are you empowered by his grace? Or is it just a title? Because the truth is, man, and this is where I broke down in the last service and I'm going to try and keep it together, but I just, I want to say thank you. This is my last time up here for foreseeable future and we'll be moving to Oklahoma. But because of the people pouring into me throughout the years, I'm where I am today. I want to say thank you to the people in this service. You know who you are. There's so many people to thank. Thank you to my family and my friends. It means so much to me. And I want you to know that I'm, I'm living proof, and this isn't to point to me, but to point to Christ. I'm living proof of what it looks like when you pour into the lives of others by living a godly life and relying on that overflow of God's grace as you love on the people around you. It means so much for me to be up here and be able to talk to y'all and and go through this passage together. But I, I don't want us to miss what's here. There's so much here to grab. And we can go through this passage and see the list and just kind of brush it off. But the truth here is we're called to live in this manner. Yes, we're saved by his grace, but it continues after that. It doesn't stop with that. We continue forward in his name. We grow in his name. 
And we get to live in his name and be sustained by that. I'm going to call the band back up here as I close. The love of those around me completely transformed my life. I was given the opportunity to come up here and speak in front of y'all, to lead worship in front of y'all, to help with the youth over there. And that was all in faith because I could have gone up there and completely messed things up. But it it was through the faithfulness of of the leaders in my life that I, I was able to grow in this way and now help and come alongside other people in that same exact way. But what it started with was being able to observe how they lived. Now, I just want you to know that if you are a follower of Christ here, I don't care what kind of status you have or where you stand in the church, you have an obligation and the blessing of living by his name and being an example to the people around you. And if you don't know Christ, I want you to forget about the whole list of godly living because that's not what's important here. What I want you to understand is God's grace. That's what God wants you to hear because we can go all day about how you can correct your life and fix what you're doing wrong. But if you don't know who Christ is and if he is not Lord of your life, none of that matters. So if you're joining online or if you're here in person today and you do not know what it means to make Jesus Lord of your life, start with understanding his grace and the fact that he came down on the cross and paid the ultimate sacrifice for you and I. And you can't do anything for it Don't try and go and fix yourself and then come back. He's asking you to come as you are, no matter what kind of mess you're in. And if you're a follower and you got some stuff going on, know that you can hang on to that blessed hope still because we are assured salvation and there is redemption, there is growth. And he has his arms wide open too and he's saying, hey, give it to me. So I want to invite y'all to stand and just take some time to close your eyes, pray to God and respond. What is going on in your life? If you're a follower, what are some things that you're holding on to that you're doing on your own, that you're Maybe you got one foot in the world and you kind of like what you're doing there. God is asking you to give it to him. He's calling you to godly living 100% to completely submit to him. How's your witness in that godly living? Are you making it clear who you stand by? Without a doubt, when people come to know you, do they see the love of Christ coming out of you? And if not, I'm going to ask you to have that conversation with the Lord. 
for him to just remind you of the grace you've already received and the authority that he's granted you to continue to live in his name and be a vocal, outspoken, clear witness of the gospel. And maybe you just forgot about his grace. The simple response here would be, would be to just rest in his name. Rest in his undeserving love. And that's the beauty of it. You can't do anything for it. Everything else in this world requires you to work for it. There's no way we're gonna work up towards a God. And he says, that's all right, because I've granted you the blessing of walking in to my family and to the body of Christ. So be reminded that you can rest in his grace, abide in his name. And if you have a list of things that you wanna go back and correct before anything else, understand that it's in his name not through you, not through the people around you, but through his grace alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this tremendous opportunity to just come before you and worship you and praise you and learn more about you and join in fellowship. And Lord, I pray that we can respond to what you're calling us to that this passage would ring true in our lives. I pray for each individual here that we would just be open to what you're calling us to, that we would respond in obedience to your name and step forward in faith and know that your grace sustains us the entire way. Lord, I pray that you would make your name known to those here who do not know you and don't know your love that they would just be able to step into that liberty, that love and that life that you offer. Lord, we love you. And I pray that we'd be able to walk out of these doors and continue or start to live for you in a mighty way. And that we would join together and uplift each other as we look to improve upon our lives and pursue this godly living and personal discipline. We love you and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.